0: like football, baby. What up, everybody? Welcome into the Fantasy Football Smackdown. It is Monday, April 19th here on the YouTube, Tuesday on the podcast. I'm your host, Kyle August. You can follow me on Twitter at KyleMonth8. And joining me, as always, my co-host here on the Fantasy Football Smackdown, the excellence of execution. It's Jake Rip your heart out, Jake Rip. What up, Jake?
1: Now that's a very nice intro. Thank you very much, Kyle. I love it. How you doing, man?
0: Doing pretty good. Glad to be back for another week. And with I, we don't want to bury the intro here because we have a very special guest on today's podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, you are he already won the award for best decor in the building tonight. You guys should know him at at the FF underscore educator on twitter the man of the rookie big board matt hicks what up matt
2: hey fellas glad to be here always love jumping on uh this podcast and uh it's it's the countdown man we are quickly approaching the nfl draft and i'm so excited for it
0: yeah we're looking forward to talking some rookie prospects with matt here tonight and before we get too too far along as well I want to remind you guys as always we keep telling you you got to check out the Dynasty Warzone Football Network by subscribing to the Dynasty Warzone on your favorite podcasting platform. Of course, check us all out on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button on the Dynasty Warzone YouTube feed. But Matt, you and I have talked. We've had the pleasure of at least three or four years. We were talking right before we hit hit live here. Three or four years here at least of having you on, picking your brain. Um, but maybe for the people that aren't as familiar with you, why don't you just give a little bit of your background and how you got into all this craziness?
1: <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been a journey, you know, to be completely honest with you. Uh, it's taken a few years of producing, you know, different level of content. Uh, you know, I've been producing Dynasty content for probably about four or five years now. But for about, uh, you know, for about four years, the first two years, I would say informally, I just always loved the draft, really tracked rookie production. And the last two years, with a big emphasis on this last year, you know, I, I've kind of decided to dive full in on, you know, focusing on the value of rookies in fantasy football Uh, watching these guys in college studying their film and then you know trying to project out fantasy football value so you know as you can imagine uh you know this is a fantastic time of the year for me but you know I take it even further you know really focusing on these guys through the summer well into the fall and you know I'm already ready to start watching these 2022 guys so you know that's kind of where I've tried to settle in uh, you know, doing the rookie big board podcast, uh, YouTube and Twitter, and also, you know, with the NFL draft Bible now, which is on fan nations, uh, sports illustrated platform. So that's been really fantastic to be a part of, uh, such a large organization there, uh, and really have the ability to be keyed in on the NFL draft side of things, just as much as on the fantasy football side of things and just marrying those two worlds together. And, uh, You know, of course, I got the Rookie Big Board right now going on Patreon.com slash the FF Educator. All the guys we're going to talk about in this episode have full profiles, you know, on the Rookie Big Board. I believe we're at 102 profiles right now of of tape evals and 169 guys ranked. So I I think that's all the work. I I think that's how I got to this point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, man, it's all good stuff. And like I said, I I really enjoy your work a a ton. You've You've really come a long way, you know, just as a spectator, as an outsider watching you and just following along. Uh, and honestly, like this year more than ever, because, uh, I think we mentioned on the show, like work for me, it's really busy. And we've been sinking a lot of time into, you know, I've been sinking a lot of time into that and I moved. So like this year more than ever, I, and I think some people could relate like over this last year, a lot of been working from home, but you still seem busier, right? You got a lot more going on. And I feel like as we entered dra- the draft, I couldn't believe it was two weeks away. Right. And Every single year I usually really lean on people like you or other people in the industry that dive into this tape, put the time in or grinding and I kind of just build my opinions usually from there. I don't I don't claim to be a draft expert. I'm 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 building my opinions based off of people that I value and their opinions on players and kind of putting those things together to build my own board as we're entering rookie draft season. But this year more than ever I feel like I'm cramming for the exam, man. And and you John Laub on YouTube, man, I have been burning through the NFL Draft Bible YouTube videos, you got to have, I mean, I've probably watched freaking like 15, 20 of those things <laughs> in the last like week or so. So uh, where, where's the best place people can find that content?
2: Yeah, that's rookie big board on uh, YouTube uh, for, if you'd like the video of that, if you like the audio format, you could check out NFL Draft Bible podcasts, uh, which is, you know, on any of your podcast providers and we're the Monday show on that network uh, the NFL Draft Bible Network, we actually have daily podcasts. Uh, you know, ev- everything from NFL Draft to Dynasty to Devi. Uh, so you know, you could go in either direction. And me and John, we just did our final one of the year. We hit 50. So the number was 50 this year, All 50 right. rookie profiles. So we if they're fantasy relevant. I'm pretty sure that we're going to
0: have a video on them. Good deal. And and uh, and you mentioned it the fact that you're making this fantasy relevant is what really draw drew me to your work initially, just because there's a lot of people out there that look at these prospects from an NFL perspective, which can be helpful. And I like to mix those guys into my rotation, whether it be reading articles or podcast rotation. But the fact that you and both you and John both um take a look at these guys from a dynasty perspective really helps me out so. Uh, Jake, I'll kick it to you here. Cause I think we all, now we know all, all we need to know about our boy, Matt Hicks. Uh, but, uh, why don't you kick the rookie questions off? Cause we're just going to be picking Matt's brain. And for the listeners, we have given Matt nothing. There is no prep here. We are just literally talking some rookie prospects. And it's going to be a ton of fun. So Jake, I'll
1: kick it to you. I want to go right into the meat and potatoes of this draft. that's coming up in what a week, 10 days. Uh, and just give me an idea of how you think these first five picks are going to play out because I've seen a ton of different scenarios here and really the biggest wild card being my Atlanta Falcons uh, at number four. So I'm just curious if you think it's more of like the, you know, I think we all have Trevor Lawrence going number one, but then after that, it's like, well, it's a kind of a toss up now with the New York jets. So how do you think those first five picks play out?
2: Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, you know, it, it's uh it's smoke screen season, right? It's so hard to listen to anything that you're hearing right now. And I think I even tweeted out a joke maybe like two days ago, like everybody is, is interested in everybody, right? I mean, come on, every report is going to drop. And if somebody's dropping a report right now, there's probably somebody inside a front office that wants them to drop a report. Right. So, you know, a a lot of what I'm doing right now with the draft is how I felt the draft was going to go three months ago. And obviously, you know, educated, you know, guesses and guys are still moving up and down. I'm not saying that nobody has moved in three months, but you know, looking from the outside in, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one overall. I mean, the man the man already has a toaster from the fans of Jacksonville. I don't know if you guys saw that. He got married and, and the Jacksonville fans bought him a fancy toaster or something like that. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I don't agree with the pick, but it does seem, you know, everything is trending towards the Jets are going to go Zach Wilson. Um, I, it would not be the, the selection I would make, but it's the New York Jets. So I believe that they will make it. Uh, the, the hype that I'm not buying is, is this third overall pick. I think it's gonna be Justin Fields to San Francisco. I do not understand how it could be Mac Jones. And maybe it is, and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but I will not believe that I am wrong until the words Mac Jones come out of Roger Goodell's mouth following the, the pick for the 49ers is. So <laughs> that's about that. That is the second that I will believe that Mac Jones is going to the 49ers because Justin Fields is just is just so far ahead of him as an NFL draft prospect, in my opinion. So you're right, the draft starts at four. Uh, And and I think if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, you know, probably my priority is trading back. I I do think it is a spot where an NFL team could want to move up to get that, that fourth quarterback or fifth quarterback off the board. But I also, honestly, as a Trey Lance fan, I I would love to see him go to Atlanta, sit behind a quarterback that I like a ton in Matt Ryan, and then look at the weapons he would get to inherit, you know, uh, Calvin Ridley, Uh, a still you know a still probably useful Julio Jones even in a year or two Uh, you know uh, other than the injuries Julio you know really doesn't look like he's slowing down too much and so I, I would absolutely love that you know for Trey Lance's purposes so I could see Atlanta sitting there I think probably most likely they trade back from that spot and I don't understand how anybody has anything but offensive line to the Cincinnati Bengals with that fifth pick you know I get it I you know Kyle Pitts gosh, that'd be tempting. You know, Jamar Chase, yes, that would be tempting. But my goodness, you just lost your rookie quarterback who showed pro bowl potential uh, to an injury uh, and in an, a unit that you know is is underdeveloped and you weren't able to do too much. I mean, they did add to it in free agency, but not a significant amount. So I don't know how, if the Bengals pick at five, that they do not pick, uh, you know, Penny Sewell or if they prefer Rashawn Slater, Uh, You know, that seems to be the other potential, you know, first offensive lineman off the board. I just think it has to be offensive line help, but, you know, one way or another, I would say four quarterbacks off the board, offensive line. And then, uh, you know, Miami there, it sounds like Miami's open to to trading back if somebody's going to move up to take a quarterback. Uh, So probably five quarterbacks in the first six picks, whether that is uh, deserved or not, it's a quarterback hungry league.
0: Miami making a trade, that doesn't seem right. There's no <laughs> way. Uh, as, a, as a Cowboys fan with them picking at 10, get all these damn quarterbacks up here. Put a small up there so that some more talent can fall to us at 10, and hopefully we don't screw the pooch. But um, you, mentioned Trey, you mentioned Trey Lance, and I think it's funny because, again, as an onlooker to this entire uh, you know process as, as we're getting closer and closer to the draft, I remember one year ago when we're talking about Joe Burrow and the fact that he only had one year. You know, out there, Trey Lance has like what f- five games. It feels like every every comment I hear about him is like, "Wait, well, he, he never played." <laughs> so, t- and you were and you were somebody. I'll I'll give you a little bit of props here. When I had you on the show one year ago, you told me about some guy named Justin Herbert and was like, "This guy's not getting the hype he deserves. You need to be targeting this guy in your drafts." And uh, that's why I have him on my teams. Thanks to you, so I should rename all my teams. Thank you, Matt Hicks but what what's your thoughts on Lance and then is he is do you think he is your your QB2 or 3 where do you have him right now
2: yeah uh first off man i was uh i have shamelessly taken my Justin Herbert victory <laughs> laps and and i apologize for nothing uh cuz i i just thought it was a total misevaluation of the quarterback position for a lot of folks passing up Justin Herbert last year and uh, you know I'm ecstatic about that. So with Trey Lance, you know the stat that blows everybody's mind. Uh, Trey Lance has played just as many college football games as Mac Jones, an equal number. They both played in 17 college football games. Uh, Trey Lance is 17 and 0. He has a national championship. Now it's the FCS level, yes, but North Dakota State plays against the best FCS level competition year in and year out. And the other thing to add in about Trey Lance when it comes to is he NFL ready? Is he prepared for the NFL? North Dakota State asks a lot of their quarterbacks. You know, that is something we're consistently hearing from the NFL side of things that Trey Lance is just as mentally ready, just as football IQ ready as any other quarterback in this class. North Dakota State required him to, you know, create his own film evaluations during the week, at, during the games. They're not, you know, every FBS team, every Power Five team, they're standing there on the sidelines with the giant cards calling in the plays. That's not happening at the FCS level. North Dakota State Trey Lance is is bringing the plays to the huddle. He's calling the plays. He's calling the checkdowns at the line. He's calling out the coverage, and he's doing all of that. So Trey Lance very well may be more football IQ prepared than a lot of these other quarterbacks in this draft class. So, you know, on top of that, you have a a huge upside with his arm talent, fantastic upside with his legs, which is the key for fantasy football, right? We, We want that. And he's big body too, right? So he's 6'3", 224. In a similar way where I think Josh Allen possesses that red zone rushing upside that makes him such a huge fantasy football threat, I think Trey Lance possesses a lot of that too. Now the key for him is going to be honing in those mechanics and creating consistency with the way he reads the field because at times he has pinpoint accuracy and he could place the ball on a, on a dime but it's not consistent. So, you know, when, when folks talk about him needing to develop him, needing to get more experience, he really just needs to get more consistent with his mechanics and he needs to hone in his ability to read the defense. So those are the two big things for him, but you know, and and he does have a bigger learning curve than other quarterbacks, but you know, the, uh, uh, you know, little secret here is that no quarterback comes into the draft with great mental processing skills. All right. It's a huge jump and they all need to be able to take that jump. So, I do think Trey Lance is best served with a, quote, redshirt NFL season. But overall, I'm very excited about him. He is my QB3 because when you're talking fantasy football, if you're not playing for upside, you're not playing fantasy football. No quarterback prospect. Boom. No pros- <laughs> there
0: I, love is, right? I love it. I love it.
2: I mean, no prospect is safe. And you could double that mantra to the fact that, you know, at the quarterback position, we know the quarterback position stats. Why are you taking a, quote, safer prospect? When it comes to the quarterback position, Trevor Lawrence is the closest thing we're going to get to a safe quarterback prospect. But after that, nobody's safe. Nobody is. So go for your upside and get your rushing upside when it comes to fantasy football. That's difference making ability.
1: Matt, you spoke to that third pick there and um, how you didn't think it was going to be Mac Jones and how smoke screens are going on this time of year. And I agree with you. I do think Justin Fields is the pick there. Uh, you also just said you have Lance as your QB three. I'm assuming then you have uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance in that order. What is the, um? what's the drop off like from Justin Fields to Trey Lance? Like how egregious would Trey Lance be with that pick over Justin Fields? If, uh, if San Francisco went that direction.
2: Yeah, I think from an NFL perspective, uh, I-, I could see San Francisco going the Trey Lance route again, because I think it kind of fits the Shanahan concepts And I think it's, I mean, could you just imagine how fun the offense would be? And I mean, I think it would also be a really fun offense with Justin Fields too, but you look at the type of playmakers there. uh, You have, uh, you have Ayuk there. You have Debo Samuel. uh, You know, you still have Jalen Hurd, who I have not forgotten about. There's just a lot of creativity in that offense. And if you add Trey Lance's legs to that equation, I think that makes it really fun as well. Now, I will say, Uh, You know, in terms of being a rushing quarterback, Trey Lance is going to get a little bit more hype than Justin Fields because he has a little bit more of that raw athleticism. But Justin Fields is really good at designed runs. He's really good at reading the field. He understands how to run, read options, and he sees things very well. And he is a really solid athlete, too. He's really good throwing on the run. So I think both of them really fit, you know, the creativity that we like to see and we get excited about with the Shanahan offense. So, I could see him going either of those guys, and again, I could be wrong, but I have such a hard time seeing Mac Jones really fitting into to that offense in in the same high, you know, in the same caliber of way. You know, the NFL knows this too. You're not getting anywhere with your, you know, tenth best quarterback in the league, right? For 99% of the time, if you're winning a Super Bowl, you're winning it with a with an elite quarterback, not a good quarterback.
1: Yeah, I saw saw people make comparisons to how uh, Shanahan had success with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. So maybe with that same type of quarterback and Mac Jones, you can find the same type of success. But I also saw, and I've been trying to pull up for the past 10 to 15 minutes, this (laughs) quote I found from Kyle Shanahan uh, where he even, you know, he harped on the fact that having a modal, a mobile quarterback, how important that is to his scheme. Um, Pretty much just echoing what you said right there. Uh, but all the more reason why I'm sure it would be Lance or Fields. Fields feels like the right pick, but I'm I'm not rolling out Trey Lance with that pick.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I try to consistently kind of, and this absolutely translates to fantasy football too. You have to really keep you know your NFL lens in the in the last like three to five years. The game is consistently changing, right? Like five years ago, Zach Wilson probably would have been a day two pick at best, right? But because we've seen the ability for some of these quarterbacks to be crafty and throw on the run and have these improvised arm angles and success in the same way, because he's kind of got that gunslinger mentality that worked out for Baker Mayfield and and the arm-throwing creativity that worked out for Patrick Mahomes, now he's going to be the second overall pick potentially. And that guy five years ago, I don't think, you know, he probably would have been a day-two pick at best. So, you you know, the NFL is consistently innovating. And what worked for, you know, Shanahan and Atlanta – that got him to the Super Bowl. What was that? Probably four or five years
1: ago. By now, um, you know, I've, it, tried, I've tried to black that uh, out of my mind. <laughs> least. I, don't, I really don't know.
2: Uh, you know, it's it's the it's not. You know, I and Shanahan's smart. He's an innovative guy. He knows that's not going to work, right? You always got to be thinking forward when it comes to the NFL. So, I, I I get it. You know, I understand where people are coming from, but I, I do think that he's going to look for, like you said. I mean, you pulled the quote. There, I think he's going to look for that mobility.
0: It, as someone that, and I'll, and I'll probably use this my jumping off point on a lot of these questions, but as someone that unfortunately trades away too many damn rookie picks because I'm getting too excited sometimes in in super flex leagues, and, and no is a completely fine answer here. But is there anybody outside of the top five QBs that we keep hearing about, and maybe somebody at f- number five for you is different than what who you know who the consensus right now is across the industry? Is there a deeper league name? Because a couple years ago people were feeling real good about themselves when they had Gardner Minshew out there in their starting lineups last year. Not so much. I don't know if you guys have this, but uh, I may or may not have five or six rosters with, uh, Jacob Eason just dying there on a taxi squad. So, uh, is there anybody that us late round pick guys should be looking at in super flex leagues at the quarterback position, Matt?
2: Yeah, I will say I definitely have Jacob Eason on a lot of rosters (laughs) and, uh, you know, I, I thought we might have a little bit more of a shot there. Uh, I don't mm. think they were expecting to, to get Carson Wentz. I don't think that was necessarily in the plan. But, you know, I, I still think he's a guy that, that can hang around on our 35-man uh, rosters with those taxi squads. Mm. You know, uh, for me, so right now, uh, I'm, I'm looking here on the rookie big board, which is su- ranked by Superflex because that's, uh, you know, I like to push that Superflex uh, style. Mac Jones is 16 overall on the rookie big board, and he's quarterback 5. And so our drop off is going to go all the way here to quarterback or to 30 overall, uh, to get to quarterback six, who is Jamie Newman for me, which is not the guy that a lot of folks are still in on. Uh, it's a completely upside pick. I mean, Jamie Newman, uh, he's a so he has a really interesting backstory. So he plays at Wake Forest. He has a, a successful true senior season with Wake Forest. Uh you know really kind of plays himself on the map he's a dual threat guy another kind of bigger body guy he's 62 235 he likes running the ball so you could tell uh, you know clearly I'm uh showing my type of quarterback here that I'm into uh he's good at he's good at running the ball he's got a big arm as well uh now he very he can run design runs very well also but I love when my uh rushing quarterbacks look to throw the ball first and I think Jamie Newman has great pocket presence I think he has good mechanics uh, his mental processing, his ability to read the field, not so consistent. His accuracy at times, not so consistent. But still, he has a really good true senior season for Wake Forest in 2019. He transfers to the University of Georgia, and we are all, you know, everybody in the Devi community, everybody looking at we're ready for a huge year from Jamie Newman. And just about three weeks before Georgia camp, uh, you know, Georgia season kicks off, Jamie Newman opts out of the season. And listen, I'm not knocking anybody for opting out because of COVID. It was a wild year. Everybody has their reasons, but from a draft perspective, it tanked him. I, you know, I had him projected as a first round pick. If he had went to Georgia and just been good, he didn't even have to be great for Georgia. If he was just good in that offense, I think he would have looked great. And I think he would have really propped himself up to be like a late first round pick. You know, how there's like nobody that we want to take in the late NFL first round. I think he would have been that guy. Um, but with an entire offseason, you know, he's just he kind of fell off the map. He went to the senior bowl and did not look good at the senior bowl, quite frankly. But I'm still holding out hope for him. Um, but, you know, we're talking all the way down at pick 30. So we're we're mid third round at that point, mm-hmm. which is where you could start taking your dart throws on guys like Jamie Newman on guys like Kellen Mond. I like Shane Bouchelle a lot out of SMU, too. But he's going to be like a six-round type guy, like how Gardner Minshew went six-round. Shane Bouchelle at SMU is going to go six-round. But he's a gunslinger. I like his accuracy. He played in college. I I think he, without exaggerating, I think he actually had six seasons in college. Uh, the first two at Texas before Sam Ellinger beat him out for the job. He transfers to SMU and he looks really good for the Ponies the last couple of years. So th- those are some of the guys I like. But you know I'm not touching anybody until
0: mid-third round. All right. I got all my I got all my uh, I got all my late thirds stacked and ready to go for some of these names. So, Jake, Jake, I'll kick it to you, man.
1: I want to pivot to talk some uh, some of this running back class we got going on here. It looks like it doesn't nearly match up with what we were spoiled with in the uh, 2020 class. But at this time last year, it looked like it was like a big two between Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Now it's looking a little more like a big three. Uh, Matt, if you could just give me your top three running backs, and then do you agree that there's kind of a major teardrop after that top three?
2: Yeah, so my my running back rankings are a little, I I don't want to say against consensus, but they're... I, I they're, was
1: hoping they would be against consensus. Surprise me, shock me with <laughs> something.
2: They're they're a little different. They're a little different now. So it, for me, it is Najee Harris as running back one, and it's pretty far and away easy. So what I've actually done here on the rookie big board within the last uh, week and a half is I've actually gone in and I've added projection for NFL Draft Capital, uh, what I think is going to be their first-year opportunity, their three-year-out opportunity. So I, I basically tried to put them in their landing spot without knowing their landing spot and you know factoring that into my rookie big board rating so it's not just a tape eval. Uh, and Najee Harris, after I did all that, He actually came out as three overall on the big board, even in a super flex league. So for me, after you take Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields right now, you can take Najee Harris. And that is fully and I am not somebody who normally, you know, I am a quarterback first in super flex. Like I am the annoying guy in the dynasty startup that has to leave the first five rounds with three quarterbacks. That is who I am. Uh, but all that being said, Najee Harris is just absolutely fantastic. He's a monster in between the tackles. He has a great feel for the game. He's, or, you know, a great feel for the field. His field vision is fantastic. He sees things really well. He's got tremendous athleticism. This man is 6'1, 230 pounds, and he has some tremendous body movements to him. But the best part, the reason Najee Harris is a game breaker for me, is he is the best pass-catching running back in this draft class. I do not care Uh, what anybody else says. For me, Harris is easily my best pass-catching running back, and he's more than just a guy who catches balls in the flat. He does. He's reliable. He works angle routes like every other running back in the world. At times, Alabama lined him up out wide. They put him out wide. They had him run comeback routes. He runs better curl routes than I can name a handful of wide receivers uh, that are popular in this year's draft class, That I think Najee Harris runs a better curl route than... And this man can do it all. And by the way, you know, it's 6'1", uh, 230 pounds. And I just told you he runs ridiculous curl routes in the SEC against some of the best defensive backs in the country. So there's no reason for me that Najee Harris isn't your far and away running back one. Now, it does fall off a, a decent chunk from that point. Uh, you know, Travis Etienne is my running back two. He's 10 overall on the big board. So I'm not really advocating for taking another running back until late first round. Uh, You know, I know positional value might push him up, but actually positional value is factored into this as well. And then uh, my running back three right now, and it's very close, but I actually do have Kenny Gainwell one spot above Javante Williams. Now, I am projecting them both to be in that pick 50 to 106 range. It it does seem like Javante Williams recently is, is really getting pushed into that you know, early second round. So that pick 20 to 50 range, which is my, my second bucket for draft capital. So if that happens, Javante Williams probably will get bumped up above Kenny Gainwell, but at least for now, Kenny Gainwell is 13 on the big board. Javante Williams is 14. So they're right next to each other, but uh, you know, I like Kenny Gainwell, small sample size, but I think what he did show is tremendous athleticism, good explosion, high upside ability. I like his field vision. Uh, And I like his pass catching ability, which again, that's going to be the difference maker in fantasy football leagues. Uh, You know, the rookie big board is full PPR focus. So that really helps, you know, kind of boost him up there. And then on the other side of things, you know, I I, I am against consensus. So who knows a year from now, I may look absolutely, you know, silly for, for having this take, but I have just never quite gotten on Javante Williams in the same way that other folks have. I've seen his strength. I've seen the highlight clips. I get it. It seems like every every time we post it from Twitter, it's that same Miami game where he ran for like 200 yards. But so did Michael Carter in that same game. That's what nobody talks about. Michael Carter, by the way, actually outrushed Javante Williams on the season. We also don't talk about that a ton. Uh, and so I think you know my my biggest knock for Javante Williams. There's two things holding him back. And so first off, there's no denying his strength, his contact balance. He uh, he does really well at broken tackles when he's working in a lot of space. But I have a lot of questions with his vision. A lot of people are really excited about his field vision and again, I could be totally wrong. I'm against consensus on this, but I actually don't think he sees the field that well. I think he's patient and I think he lets a really good UNC offensive line open up pretty wide gaps for him to work through. But if you don't watch the if you, you know, really go and dig into the tape and watch consistently you're going to see Javante Williams run into the back of his offensive lineman a lot, which is like the biggest yellow flag that you could throw up for a running back. It's one thing just to get stuffed a lot, but he will run dead on into the back of his offensive lineman. And if there's there's one thing that you are not going to be able to improve at the next level, it's vision. If you don't have good vision, you don't have good vision and you're done. And the other thing on top of that is Javante Williams has capped speed and he has capped explosive ability. So, you know, he could still get to the second level, and there's there's guys in the NFL that get away with that, but he's not breaking off big, long runs. He's not going to break off 60-yard runs, most likely, at the next level. So, those, you know, those are all the reasons why I'm a bit lower on Javante Williams than a lot of folks. You know, there's there's folks whose opinions I really respect that have Javante Williams one or two, and, and three seems to be the consensus. But uh, he's going to hang around four for me, and maybe that draft capital pushes him up into that running back three range, but... At least for now, I I think Kenny Gainwell offers a little bit more than what Javante Williams offers. And by the way, he came in at 5'9", 2'12". So he's not quite as big as we think he is. I mean, he's 12 pounds. He's 11 pounds heavier than what Kenny Gainwell came in as.
1: On the flip side, Kenny Gainwell came in a little bigger than everyone expected, if I understand correctly.
2: Exactly. Yeah, Kenny Gainwell came in exactly. Uh, he came in at 2'01 on his pro day. Now... Kenny Gainwell, I'll give him the credit for this. He had he opted out as well from this past season, and he had a year to train for his pro day. He knew that, right? I mean, I'm sure he was hoping it was the combine when he opted out, but he knew his job for a year was to train, was to come in at weight, and to perform well. And He did all of those things. Kenny Gainwell is not playing at 200 pounds in the NFL, right? <laughs> he's going to go right back down, and I hope he doesn't because I think it'll—I think he'll lose an edge. So Kenny Gainwell is going to play between 190 and 195 in all likelihood at the NFL level, and he's going to be completely fine. You know, I know 200 is a magical analytical threshold, and he did hit that. He hit that, but I'm telling you, he didn't play at one. He didn't play at 200 at Memphis. He's not playing at 200 in the NFL, but. That's what these guys do. They did bulk up and he did perform well athletically in terms of testing at 200 pounds. So you, you know, Kenny Gainwell did everything he needed to do while opting out. And that for me shows high character that shows high work ethic and that shows dedication. Like that's not easy to do to, to train and keep your body up to speed for what eight months without playing competitive football. When that's all you've ever done your entire life. Like that's difficult. That takes discipline. So you know, I, I like that about Kenny Gainwell as well,
0: yeah. Him and I have that in common. I spent the last eight months getting up to 201 as well, so that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I might just have to draft him just for that. Um, the and the thing is, too, and I'll throw this out there for you guys listening to this because and Memphis messages this all the time, so I try to do the same thing, like. Take a look at where your rookie picks are and map out what players you think are expected to be off the board. You shouldn't really be talking at this point, you know, oh, I have the 103 and super flex, right? Like, obviously you do, but you need to be looking at that pick and valuing it based off of the player you expect to get there. You know, I know Williams was somebody that as the third running back, I had some spots where I, I got the 108, 109, 110. And when I saw, you know, when Williams name, which we've heard nothing but positive things really about, I was like, all right, it's kind of kicking another guy into that group with the quarterbacks. And the top two running backs we've we'll been talking about forever. And, you know, the three wide receivers are all projected to go with the, you know, in the first 20 picks. Right. So like Williams was kind of a little breath of fresh air I was like, all right, I might luck out here and still get somebody in that top tier. But maybe that teardrop is 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 a little earlier than that. So definitely be looking at those rookie picks that you have, if you have first rounders and, and deciding whether you're, it's worth hanging out, hanging on to that pick and making that selection or, you know, taking advantage of the value because it, we're 10 days away from the draft or whatever. And those, and you know, so probably two weeks away from rookie drafts getting started. And those picks are just going to continue to rise in value. So you can get out while they getting especially good. If you hung on to them this long, I wanted to throw something at you, Matt, cause I've, I've heard you mention it a couple of times, Uh, on, on podcasts. And I think you've mentioned it a few, you've alluded to it a few times here. Uh, So we'll take one step back from players for just a moment. I want to get your thoughts on draft capital, because again, we're less than two weeks away. All these names are going to get started to be placed with teams. And I know for the common man, like me, right? A guy gets drafted in the first round. I'm just like, all right, here he goes to the top because I don't have as much context. Right, so with some with you, not only investing in these guys within the last twelve months, evaluating them from a draft NFL draft perspective, you're a Debbie guy. You know these guys, you know their stories. So how much are how much stock are you putting into draft capital as somebody that again dedicates a lot of time and effort and and puts your talents in into this draft? What how do you uh, how do you factor that into your valuation for dynasty purposes?
2: Yeah, so draft capital is important. You know, I think that's the first most uh, you know uh, the first place to start. I, I should say. Uh, it's important because it's going to provide opportunity and it's going to you know, give you second chances, third chances, whether that's on your first team or your second team. Draft capital hangs with you. It really does. If you're a first round pick, you're always going to be a first round pick. I mean, why the heck did the did the Falcons give Laquan Treadwell another shot this past season? You know what I mean? <laughs> because he was a first-round pick, and he, and he has proven to be nothing but not good. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin, how many shots did Kelvin Benjamin get? He was a first-round pick. Uh, Brashard Perriman is, is a Detroit Lion, and he is a first-round You know, So it, it's going to help you, right? It's going to help you in the long term, and I gave the worst examples of that, but it, it it helps you and it gives you a better chance of getting opportunity quickly for your NFL roster. Now it's not the end all be all, and there's a couple examples of guys that I think could go day one uh, that I I don't want in fantasy football, uh, and you know that it was that way last year as well. One of the the myths that I've been trying to dispel, or or maybe just i, I maybe flipped that narrative. One of the the you know pieces of. Of, of draft insight that I've been trying to push out there. And this is actually, so all the guys here, I have all of my guys in my rankings and, and they're in a bucket based on draft capital. And I have day one early, which is picks one through 10 day one, mid, which is picks 10 through 20. And then my next bracket is day one late to day two, mid about picks 20 to 50. And, and for me, that's a real breaking point because in most NFL drafts, you know, the general consensus is that there's not 32 first round players, right? Uh, there's about 18 to 22, 23 guys, depending on any year where, you know, NFL scouts, NFL evaluators across the board, those are the guys who, you know, you're able to say these are first round talents. And after that, you know, you're drafting for your team's preference, the guys that fit your team, who you want. And so you have to keep that in mind. So, a really good example of this is in last year's draft class, Jalen Rager was somebody who shot up fantasy boards when he got taken in the first round. He was picked, what, 22? He was a pick before Justin Jefferson. I want to say 22, but I could be wrong. Um, and, And so, a lot of folks were really excited. First round pick, Jalen Rager, first round pick. The Eagles must love him. They're going to feed him the ball. Well, you know, on the NFL draft side of things, and we'll never know this for sure, but on the NFL draft side of things, a lot of talk was that the Eagles bid against themselves and that they could have taken Jalen Rager with that same pick in the second round, which I believe was 50-something. So, you know, it's the point being that after you get past those first, you know, 20 or so picks, that it's really about team preference. And, and most teams are valuing those as, as second round picks at that point in time. You know, it's one of the reasons that uh, Bill Belichick has always traded back from those picks because if, if he doesn't see a guy that he loves, you know, usually the Patriots are drafting around 28, 29, he knows he could get somebody that he has a similar evaluation on at pick 45 or, or 50. So you know, that's why for me, that day one to day, day one, late day two mid-bucket is where a lot of guys fall. It's that 20 to 50 range, um, and, and those guys are all, you know, in the same line draft capital wise so if you project that from last year you know jalen rager would have had the same draft capital as a guy like michael Pittman or t higgins because those guys went at the top of the second round and into discount them because they want they went what six picks later just because you had to wait overnight for them to go you know it doesn't make a lot of sense those are still guys that are going to be priorities on their nfl teams and then we go into uh, day two late which is 50 to 106 and then we go into day three Uh, which, you know, kind of really opens things up at that point in time. So, you know, draft capital is important for me, but I I try not to overemphasize that day one is an end-all, be-all type spot. You know, I I break down what I really consider to be day one into that day one early, day two mid, or day one mid, and then it's a pretty wide range after that.
0: Yeah, you mentioned and and uh, and Jacob okay, K to you here, and you can take us it back to the running backs or off to wide receivers, but uh, and it's hilarious that you mentioned the the Pittman and Higgins thing because that was something that I it wasn't like in the moment I was thinking like man people are idiots like I was like yeah Ragers at eight you know or whatever like or clearly in the you know the first round of your rookie draft and you know luck luckily for me I lucked out I just had some early seconds I ended up with a lot of Pittman and and some Higgins in some spots and then looking back on it just like you said like why were we so much higher on Rager, you know, just because he, you know, he was in the first round. It wasn't that much of a difference, but I think that's a great point is that there's a, there's definitely not all first round picks are equal in the NFL draft. There's a, there's a drop-off point And we need to be looking at that just like these NFL teams are when they're evaluating these picks. So I think it's a great point. I appreciate you breaking that down for us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's we could we could translate it right over into this year's wide receiver class. It seems like the best point of value in rookie drafts is the top of the second round because there's going to be uh wide receivers that I think are very good that hang around until the second round because you know, rightfully so, especially in super flex leagues, we push quarterbacks up the board, it makes sense positional value. And I think what we what we do as well, which isn't as smart, is we always push our running backs up the board. You know, you may have gotten T Higgins in the second round last year because somebody took Keyshawn Vaughn at 110. And I like Keyshawn Vaughn, but I liked him at 210. But we wanted running back, so we pushed him up to 110. So I think we might do a similar thing this year. And I'm seeing consistently in my mock drafts, you know, uh, you know, with industry guys, Devontae Smith in the second round, uh, Elijah Moore in the second round. Uh, You know, I really like Terrace Marshall, second round, Tylen Wallace, top of the second round. So, I think we're going to be right back there, you know, with some really good wide receivers. So I, I tweeted out, I think like once every month, you know, it's a good day to buy second round rookie picks because those picks always smash value. And if you're going into this year's draft and all you have is is three second round picks, I, you know what? That's, that's not a terrible spot to be.
1: Matt, before we do a full transition here into wide receivers, I've got one more running back that I I got to get your opinion on. I just so last season, I think last season, yeah, I uh, just started dipping my toes into the Devy game, and I remember like in the in the rookie draft it went something like Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and then it, it was a really it was a toss up at that point where people started talking about all right, maybe we should take Chuba Hubbard. Now, the stats he was putting up that season, I just had him here in front of me, 2,000 yards rushing, uh, 21 touchdowns, uh, and then heading into this season now, it seems like everyone just wants to bury him on their running back rankings, not even top 10. People are saying he's trash. I want to know what happened to this guy who, it seems like not too long ago, was in the top three discussion.
2: Chuba Hubbard is a really interesting a really interesting story, and for me, so right now Chuba is twenty-seven on my big board, which puts him at running back. Uh, let's make sure I get this right: six, seven, eight, nine, running back nine. Um, and, and he actually hasn't necessarily moved down for me; he just hasn't moved up. He's kind of been here, and I had a lot of question marks despite the production from Chuba Hubbard. And and it really starts. You know, we talked about questionable vision earlier, and how much of a red flag that is for me. I thought Hubbard's vision was really questionable at oklahoma state now if you're not you know the biggest college football washer uh big 12 is not known for their defense and, and hubbard was running with some really wide open holes and oklahoma state does have a really good offensive line uh you know relative to the big 12 it's kind of underrated and so they were doing a really good job opening opening up wide gaps and now don't get me wrong hubbard is fast fast he's he but he is quite literally a track star playing football uh, you know, he very much could have chosen that professional track, uh, path, but you know, he went with football and Hubbard wants to run in a straight line and he wants to run fast. And it's, it's really frustrating because his place, first off, he doesn't have good vision in between the tackles. He's consistently misses his holes. And if his design hole is not open, he is not going to run for the play, right? It, it, the, the, offense needs to create the space for him. He is not going to create that space himself, which I do not like for my running backs and what's really frustrating is is Hubbard is fast enough and he's quick enough. Where on a lot of the plays where he gets stopped, if he had just bounced to the outside, you know, bounce off tackle, he would have had the space that he needed to break off a big play. But he wants to run at the A gap and at the B gap. And when you are 60207 and you are known for being a track star. The A gap and the B gap is not where you want to live, right? You need to be able to get outside. You need to be able to get in space. And so if you can't consistently work in space in one of the worst defensive conferences in college football, then I just don't trust that you're going to do it at the next level. So for me, he's a day three pick. He's probably going to be an early day three pick. In his traits and his upside, in a weak running back class, you know it's it's worth a flyer if you're in the third round. But I'm not taking him earlier than probably the mid third round of your rookie drafts. And at that point, everybody you're stepping up to the plate for you're taking a swing at right. So, you know, I'm I'm fine with it at that point. But you know, there's definitely a lot of running backs that I would rather take over Hubbard.
1: Right on, Kyle. You want to uh, kick it to wide receivers? Yeah, I love it because especially you know with it
0: even more so than usual. Uh, in 2020 you know we didn't even as the casual college football fan I couldn't have even told you what teams were even playing which weeks like it was impossible for me to follow and even more props to guys like Matt here that are able to were able to keep up and and know the backstories on these guys and where you know where they're at or you know what they what their plans were and man it was really really tough to follow so sometimes we kind of lean back to the names that we knew and if we've learned anything over the last few years like and Hubbard's one of those, <laughs> one of those guys is like, Hey, this, you know, time changes things. And his name that was at the top of the board, just, you know, maybe 12 months ago, not the case anymore. What? So at the receiver position, I think we're kind of more familiar with some of the big names. We obviously know who's, who's going to go in the first round. So Matt I, of the NFL draft. So Matt, I want to, I want a name or two from you that's just like, Maybe that the people should be paying more attention to, right? Who are some of our listeners here? Have been listening to other podcasts, dive into this deep. And old Memphis has been killing it with some of his rookie pros, with rookie prospecting on this feed as well. So who are a couple names where you're like, hey man, they, if I if I have to pin a few guys that I that I want to get on my teams, I can that could probably get in the mid rounds. Who are those wide receivers for you?
2: If I could have Terrace Marshall on 100% of my rosters, I will have Terrace Marshall on 100% of my rosters. And he's another one of these guys. He's hanging around until the second round. Uh, and, and I think it's just going to be a huge mistake. I'd love Terrace Marshall. He's my wide receiver three in this year's draft class. He has yeah. been for a while. I still think he's going day one. I, I, it's not a popular opinion, but I, you know, I think he fits in Tennessee. I know he fits in Green Bay, but you know, Green Bay is going to Green Bay. So who knows if he'll land there. Um, you know, I whisper it I, he fits in Baltimore. <laughs> it, it won't be it'll be good for me as as a guy living in Baltimore, but it uh, sure won't be good for fantasy football, so I'll have to move him down if he goes to Baltimore. but uh you know, in this year's draft class, you know, we talk about a lot of the really talented guys at the top Jamar Chase, he's six one uh Jalen Waddle, five ten Devonta Smith, uh six one uh you know, Elijah Moore, five eight. Uh, Rashad Bateman, 6'1", Rondell Moore, 5'7". Terrace Marshall is 6'3", 200 pounds, and, and I think he's going to stand out for that reason, and it's a big part of the reason I think he's going to go round one. Now, past that, how this translates to fantasy football is the way that Terrace Marshall wins. He wins in the deep third of the field. He has great downfield acceleration. He separates downfield very well. He's got good hands. He's a good contested catch guy. He tracks the ball well if it comes to that, but more often than not at LSU, He is separating before that catch point, and he's got space, and that is leading to big plays. He had seven touchdowns through the first four games of the college football season this past year. He ended up opting out. The only reason you don't know his big numbers, uh, the year before at LSU, he was playing in an offense with both Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, and Terrace Marshall was actually on pace to still outproduce Justin Jefferson that season, except he had a late season injury. So it's not even the fact that he was getting, you know, crowded out by a talented group on that national championship team. He just didn't play the full season because he got injured. And so uh, Marshall is somebody, by the way, I believe he was a five star coming out. So he has a pedigree behind him. He's a big man. He's consistently won. Uh, and he has that, that pedigree and and he's played and gotten developed at, at LSU, which is wide receiver university, you know, at least for now, until these Ohio state and Alabama guys keep taking over the league. So I I, I love Terrace Marshall. I love everything about him. I think he's so underrated and and I'm taking him as as my wide receiver three every single time. Uh, you know, so, you know, that's definitely a guy right off the bat. Uh, you know, more popular name, you know, that's not digging deep yet, but, you know, I think he's gonna be a huge value in a lot of
0: leagues. Hey, man, I, and that and even having him at three, I mean, that's a name that uh I've we've seen in the first round and you know, on the mock drafts to get all this pub and everything, but I don't know that we've I haven't seen too many, you know, dynasty rookie drafts are putting in that high. Um, you know, with over those, it always seems like there's a tier tier break, you know, with that. So again, if you're sitting there at the at the early second, that's probably a name that might be there for you in the super flex drafts, and and that sounds like it's going to be a great value. So I really dig the insight on there and some things, again, that you're not going to find just by looking at the stat sheet. Jake, you got you got something else from Matt here?
1: You bet I do. So it <laughs> seems like everyone has Jamar Chase as their number one wide receiver. That's where I'm at. Um, and then most people defer to then the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. I'm curious what the gap is like for you between a guy like Devontae Smith and his teammate Jalen Waddle, because what Waddle was doing while he was healthy was really just as unprecedented as what Smith was doing. I'm looking at his game log now uh, from weeks one through five, uh, 134 yards, 142 yards, 120 yards, 160 yards all before he was injured. So um, is he any more risky really than Devontae Smith going into this? I know Devontae Smith's got the hardware, but Waddle definitely has the stats to back it up. Waddle's my wide receiver too. I am all in on Jalen Waddle. Uh, I'm a
2: huge fan of his. Um, you know, and actually before the injury, I was really adamant and on the record that I thought he was going to be wide receiver one off the board because he is fast and the NFL loves fast. But you know, a lot of people, oh, fast wide receiver from Alabama. Oh, that sounds like Henry Ruggs. Uh-oh. Yeah. You know, and we kind of get scared. Jalen Waddle is a much, much more complete receiver. Than Henry Ruggs ever was, and I like Henry Ruggs. By the way, I've not given up on him. But Jalen Waddle has always been a more uh, well-rounded and, and complete prospect. So I, I love his hands. He has tremendous handwork, really consistent, sticky hands, and I don't throw that around easily. You know, I'm, I'm quick to knock wide receivers on their hands. He separates very well with his speed. He has sharp, quick footwork. It, it helps. You know, he wasn't asked to run the most complicated routes at Alabama, but he ran them very well. He's got great yards after catch potential, which doesn't always translate best to fantasy football, but he does really well. So it's, it's, I kind of use it as like a bonus factor for me, but on top of that, he's 5'10, 182. You would think this man uh, playing against sec defensive backs as close to Sunday as you get playing on Saturdays. You would think that he was six, uh, 200 pounds, the way that he goes up and wins contested balls, ridiculous vertical ability, tremendous athlete. And he's got a long catch radius. So you know he's not just a speed guy. He'll go up and win the contested catch ball as well. I would love Jalen Waddle. Uh, you know, kind of the spot that I'm really hoping he goes to. And maybe this 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 is full circle to the Justin Herbert pick last year. But my goodness, if you allow him to play in, inside on that Los Angeles Chargers offense with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, if you bump Keenan Allen there to the outside more consistently, I mean, Waddle could shred over the middle of the field. Uh, But you could also bump him to the outside if you need him to not consistently, right? He's not gonna be a boundary guy at the NFL level, but he can kind of play in that, you know, flanker role if you need to slide that to the outside. So I I, I absolutely love Jalen Waddle. He's my wide receiver too. And you're right. It's I don't mean this as a slight to Devonta Smith in any way. But if Jalen Waddell doesn't get injured, Devonta Smith doesn't win the Heisman. You know, it, it just does not work out that way. And, and Devonta Smith is a tremendous wide receiver, but that's just being realistic about it. So, by the way, the other, the other thing that helps Jalen Waddell, and I know it's not, you know, the most uh, sexiest thing for fantasy football purposes, but Jalen Waddell is a really good uh, kick returner as well. If you go back to 2019, uh, you know, Alabama-Auburn for college football fans is a huge rivalry. And Alabama was actually getting, uh, you know, not shut out by Auburn, but they were, you know, Auburn had all the momentum in the game until Jalen Waddle returns a kickoff for a touchdown. It was a ridiculous return, you know. Look it up on YouTube. It's it's a tremendous return, and he shifts the entire momentum of the game. Alabama goes on and ends up winning that rivalry game. So, you know, I like to say that Jalen Waddle is quite literally a game changing talent, and. I, I, you know, I don't think he gets out of the top 15 picks of the NFL draft. There's just not a chance.
0: You got to factor in as well, Waddle over Smith, by purely just the fantasy football team name aspect there as well. I mean, what we does Smith do to for them. you? I mean, come on now. So let, let's go. Uh, <laughs> waddle, mentioned- baby, Waddle. Yeah,
2: we could we go with a lot of <laughs> Look it. Look at
0: this. See, that's already like I've, I've already got all these teams. I mean, I'm Debbie guy here. I've been killing it for years. Um, what what's You mentioned a couple of names that you have towards the top of your board who are some names that people maybe should be weary of? Cause I think there's always these, these names that whether they're early draft picks that all of a sudden people are like, Oh, now they're now they're moving into the rookie the you know, the first round of rookie picks based off of draft cattle only, or maybe some names that have been tossed around um, other rookie drafts or mock drafts has been sitting over the last few months who are maybe a name or two that people should be weary of that. Maybe you're just not as high. You're not seeing it like other people are.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the most unpopular opinion you could put on Twitter right now, but I've been making it for about eight months, so I'm just going to keep making it. I don't see it with Rashad Bateman in the way that everybody else sees it with Rashad Bateman. I, and, you know, I, he's my wide receiver six. So, it, it, it you know, I, I don't think he sucks. You know, I don't think he's bad. But for some folks, he's wide receiver one. For a lot of folks, he's in the top three. And, you know, when I put Rashad Bateman in, and I like watching him play, right? And so, Uh, You know, I have a process that I go through to to give these players tape evaluations. And when when you watch him play, especially the 2019 tape, the 2020 tape, it seems like folks just literally ignore that tape when evaluating Rashad Bateman because it's not good. Uh, But if you go back and watch the 2019 tape, there are some freaking fun plays, right? Like he is a fun, energetic, exciting player to watch. But you know, I, I've kind of refined my, my tape formula, you know, doing it unofficially for two years and now on the record for two, for another two years. So, you know, we're on year four of evaluating prospects and kind of honing this formula. One thing that I have consistently missed on in the past is I have overvalued contested catch guys. And, and what I've found is that, you know, guys translating to the next level, the ability to separate cannot be overestimated. And I think one of the things that, You know, Rashad, well, quite literally the thing that Rashad Bateman graded best for me, and I think what a lot of folks like about him, is that contested catch ability. If you're watching the Rashad Bateman highlights, you're watching him make great contested catches. But what's the flip side of that? Why didn't he separate before the catch point? And if you don't separate before the catch point in college, it's going to be very difficult to do that in the NFL. So, you know, contested catch, what Rashad Bateman scores best at, is, is not a highly rated category for me you know, uh, in my uh, evaluation. The other thing that a lot of folks really like about him is his route running ability. And that is also not something that I haven't, you know, it's it's certainly in my tape evaluation, of course, but it's not something that has as high of a weight to it. You know, not all my traits are weighted equally. And it's because at the NFL level, you know, they're going to ask you to run the routes that you need to run. For that team depending on what team that you're playing in they're gonna they're gonna teach you the routes in the in the in what they want you to do now being a great route runner if you could run the whole tree it makes you you know more scheme versatile you could fit on more teams so it's helpful but in terms of actual translation to the next level it's lower in my grading scale and all of that is before we realize that he's not 6'2 he's 6'0 he's not 210 pounds he's 190 pounds so now we're in love with a 6-0, 190-pound contested catch guy? I don't know. Like, I, Again, I, I could be wrong on, on any of these guys. I do not claim to have 100% hit rate, but I just don't see it with Rashad Bateman. So you know, I'm on the big board right now. He is 17 overall. So in the mid-second round, I, I think he's worth taking a shot on. If he's there at 17, I'll take him. I Guarantee I won't have him right because he's not going to be there at 17, probably in any drafts. There's a lot of folks that want to take him as wide receiver one off the board, wide receiver two off the board. Mm-hmm. And for me, there's just that's just too much risk. I, I don't see it, you know, with my first round picks, I want to have high confidence that they're going to hit and produce for me. And I just do not see that with Rashad Bateman. So that's definitely a guy that I'm higher on than, than a lot
0: of folks. I'm glad you brought or lower him up lower
2: on. I guess I'm lower on than a lot of folks.
0: I, I'm glad you brought him up because I that was a player that I wanted to ask you about, but I'm like, I'm just gonna let Matt, you know, do his thing, pick his guys. And as as somebody that I mean, I know my one of my favorite players of all time is watching Des Bryant play. I'm not sure Des Bryant could get it done in today's NFL, even prime Des Bryant. Like, yes, he could catch those touchdowns, but that's the exact question that I always think of after all these years and listening to guys like you like separation is important. And I knew that Des couldn't separate at all, (laughs) you know, like he even in his best days, he wasn't the best separator. And that's something that NFL teams really value that really leverage that in today's passing game. So Bateman's a guy that, again, just as a novice, just watching some highlights once in a while that are popping up on Twitter. Yeah, these guys making contested catches, but why? And after the pro day numbers came out. He's six foot, like, oh, okay. So those those types of things, even t- to me, were like, this doesn't seem like it's lining up. So I'm glad you brought him up. I'm glad you bringing in the insight. And uh, so we'll we'll defend you on Twitter if you need, bro. But you just you keep holding strong to that and we'll see how this one plays out.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, I've I've learned from my L's. You know, I love Kelvin Harmon. Very similar when people talk about mm, comps IP or Rashad Bateman. I I see Kelvin Harmon. And I I still have yeah. Kelvin Harmon on Geez, probably six to eight (laughs) rosters because (laughs) I bought in. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Hakeem Hakeem Butler, you know, uh, in a little bit of a different way. But Mm -hmm. if you can't separate, it's just not going to work. So, you know, I've taken my L's on this and I like to learn from my mistakes. I I think it's the only way that, you know, you can really refine your process.
1: I've got one last question for you, Matt. I'm curious, any position you want, who is your who's been your biggest mover in your rankings over the past four or so months? Just we'll say over this off season, whether it's you know, because of a good pro day, a bad pro day uh, measurements that we weren't expecting, who's someone that's either completely plummeted down your rankings or maybe someone that's just completely launched to the top?
2: Oh man, that's a good question. Um, you know, one guy who I think came out of nowhere, uh, you know, essentially nowhere. Okay. I'm going to cheat. There's two guys that came out of essentially nowhere that, that I would love to talk about. Uh, and they, they're actually right next to each other on the rookie big board right now. So they're 21 and 22. So we're talking about late second round picks. And the first one is, is Dwayne Eskridge out of Western uh, Michigan. Uh, you know, he came from Western Michigan. So he came out of nowhere for me. I quite honestly had not watched the tape on him until February, I think. Uh, which is fairly late in my process. Um, You know, he's 5'8", 190. Uh, He's super explosive. He actually played on the outside at Western Michigan. You know, I, I just talked about route running ability. The one part of route running that I think is essential and does translate very well is release off the line of scrimmage. And Dwayne Eskridge has a tremendous release off the line of scrimmage. He breaks a hard slant. I talk about it all the time. My favorite route for a wide receiver to run is a slant route because it sounds so simple, but if you can win slant routes, you're going to be very difficult to cover in the NFL. And I mentioned he's five, eight. He was physical and dominating along the boundary. Now he's playing at Western Michigan. So that's Mac. And he's going to have to play on the inside at the next level, but he is really, really explosive in a straight line. He had oh man. I forgot his exact yards after catch, but I believe he was over 20 yards, uh, yards per reception in the last, Three, two out of the last three seasons, I believe he averaged over 20 yards per reception. So a huge, you know, uh, touchdown upside type guy. For fantasy football purposes, you know, I don't love comps, but for for what he could bring to your fantasy football team, I've been kind of calling him like Will Fuller-esque, where it might be a little hit or miss, but I think he has that downfield explosive playability. And, you know, I'm pretty convinced from his senior bowl performance and just what I'm hearing from the NFL side, that he will be a day two selection so I think he's going to be a top 100 pick that is not, you know, he's not a name that everybody knows. So I think he is somebody who is going to jump up boards after the draft, you know, because people are going to be like Dwayne Eskridge, you know, who the heck is Dwayne Eskridge and why did he go round two or, or why did he go early round three? So, you know, that's somebody that has definitely moved up my board. And the other guy that that I I don't think is moving up folks' boards quick enough here is Demetrik Fellin out of UCLA, I really like Demetric Felton. He's actually my running back five right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the key though. So Demetric Dimit- Felton, he played running back in 2020 for UCLA. And, you know, uh, I believe UCLA played four games. All of the Pac-12 played like between three and five games because they were the last ones to get going this year. And uh, Demetric Felton, he played running back this year and he played partially running back the year before. If you remember, Joshua Kelly was the running back at UCLA in 2019, and I thought Dimitri Felton looked really good running between the tackles. I love his athleticism. I love his elusiveness. I think he creates space really well on his own. I think he's got good vision. Uh, but the year before, now I just mentioned he played a little bit of running back in 2019. He was actually playing wide out for UCLA and he was <laughs> playing really <laughs> good at the wide out position as well. You know, not the most technically sound wide out, but definitely, you know, able to play along the boundary, able to separate with his speed, good hands, really nice hands. And so he's played both running back and wide receiver at the college level. He goes to the senior bowl. He's listed as a running back at the senior bowl, but what all the highlights of him from the senior bowl are, actually when he was running the one-on-one wide receiver DB drills and he was breaking these defensive backs. And I just told you, he's not even a wide receiver. He's a running back. So he's one of these guys where we're not actually going to know what he is going to be for an NFL team until we hear his name called because he could be classified as either a running back or a wide receiver in the NFL. And if the key here is if he's declared as a running back, then he's really exciting for me because a, a running back that can catch the ball is a lot more exciting than a wide receiver that can run the ball. Right. So I'm really, especially in this year's, you know, weak running back class relative to wide receiver class. So Demetric fell. And if he goes in, in day two, which I think he will. And if he goes, as a running back, then he's going to be somebody who I'm going to, I'm not letting get out of the second round of any rookie drafts uh, because I, I think he'll possess some really nice upside to his game.
0: I love it. Bringing some deep names here. So those are the back end of round two. I'll real quick. We'll get you out on this, Matt. Uh, so two very quick questions. Uh, where would you draft Kyle Pitts in tight end premium super flex and who's your tight end two for those types of leagues that people should be targeting for a better value probably in round two, maybe three.
2: Yeah, so, you know, Kyle Pitts on a Superflex non-tight end board is 9. And I think in a tight end premium league, I'm willing to go up as far as 7, mm-hmm. but not much further so it's not as high as a lot of folks and, you know, uh, one of the things that, that I have done right now is I've actually, yeah, this sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but I've gone in and I've done projections for, you know, probably the top 40 rookies for their 2021 impact right now for, you know, because I have full projections in, on my Patreon for, for every NFL player right now. And so I've tried to look at historical production uh, and match up uh, rookie profiles, you know, just kind of, you know, what, how they play the game and, and how that's worked over the last couple of years. And and I have, you know, given Pitts a really nice projection. I quite literally have given him the best projection by a long shot of any tight end over the last three years. The highest scoring rookie tight end over the last three years was Chris Herndon with 113 fantasy PPR points. All right, it's bad. So I've I put Kyle Pitts well above Chris Herndon, and he comes in at tight end 12. Now, that's not tight end premium. Uh, but he comes in at tight end 12 in his rookie season. Like any tight end, I don't care how good Kyle Pitts is. You're going to have to be patient with him two to three years. So, you know, I'm fine with that at seven, or, you know, if you want to take him at five, I've tried to talk a lot of folks out of that, even in tight end premium, but if you want to take that, that's fine. Just understand that you're making an investment. Don't let me swoop in with a trade offer next year when you're annoyed that he hasn't produced as a top three tight end yet, and that he's not Travis Kelsey in his first season. Or Darren Waller, which I think everybody wants him to just be Darren Waller in his rookie season. Maybe he is, but that would quite literally break any, you know, any past example of what we have. And outliers happen, but you know, I try not to bet on them. Uh, you know, looking down the board, you know, this is really tough for me. Uh Pat Fryermuth right now, uh, so my rookie big board scores on a scale of one to ten. Pat Fryermuth is a six six, Brevin Jordan is a six five. I personally like like watching players, I like Brevin Jordan a lot more. I think he's a great athlete. I think he's a great pass catcher. Uh, he did not test well at his pro day. And because he didn't test well at his pro day, I think he ends up sliding to potentially round three. Uh, we talked about you know the whole draft capital conversation. And I think Pat Friermuth, uh, who is more of a well-rounded tight end, he's a really good blocker as well as a pass catcher. I think he could end up going high day two because of an NFL team. You know, if you look at like the Cincinnati Bengals, the Carolina Panthers, there's a lot of teams up there at the top of the second round that could really benefit from a two-way tight end. And so I think Fairmouth ends up going probably a full round earlier than Brevin Jordan, which which you know is kind of giving him that bump for me. So technically, right now, Fairmouth is my tight end too very slightly it hurts me because i love brevin jordan and i do think he is the second best tight end in this class but i i can't ignore what the nfl is telling me either
0: yeah and i wanted to see if you would, if you were sticking with brevin jordan because i think that might have been the first video that you and john did way back you know months ago and i remember how i remember listening to that, i was like man they actually they're hyping this guy up and i think john even mentioned like i love round two brevin jordan versus <laughs> versus having to take pits where you have to take him but uh Again, you guys need to be checking out all of Matt's work. Matt, I love what you're doing too. Like you've been adapting, changing things. You're you're not just here for another ten days and you disappear. You know you're doing this thing year round. So as we uh, as we part ways here, why don't you just give the people one more plug where they can find your stuff? And I highly encourage you guys to check this stuff out. So Matt, why don't you hit them with it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big thing right now is is uh, you know the rookie big board, which I've been you know everything I've talked about is on the rookie big board for you to see. You know player. Uh fantasy football projection, uh, the tiers they have. I have uh, you know, updated ADP for all these guys, the NFL draft projection range, their tape grade, and then what I call the opportunity index or all of that draft capital first year projection things going on there. All that's available uh patreon.com slash the FF Educator. I call it a year-round rookie guide because I will I'll update it with projections right after the draft. I'll track these guys through the summer, I'll track them through the fall, you know, help you figure out the trade evaluation of them, you know, well into the season here. And go back and reevaluate these guys once we see them, you know, in context on their NFL rosters. Uh, it's just three dollars a month. Uh, Patreon.com/slash/theffeducator, and you also with that get my top two hundred Devy players, my top two hundred Dynasty players, and my Cornerstone top seventy-five rankings, and then you know, there, there's a few other tiers where you can get full projections for me, uh, including the rookies, you know, post-draft and pre-draft. <laughs> just imagine I got 40 guys pre-draft with projections, which I know is a little ridiculous, but you know, I, I love the rookie game. I have the rookie big board podcast as well. So that's a podcast as well as a YouTube channel, YouTube. We just broke one k subscribers, So that was a really cool accomplishment. So yeah, we're rolling, man, but it's a 365 grind for me. I'm going to take about probably three weeks off after the draft uh, hone in my process. There's some really cool things I'm excited to add for the 2022 board. And then we're watching 2022 tape, man, and we're getting ready for next year.
0: There you go, man. I I love it. Uh, Well-deserved few weeks off. I guess we'll let you have it, but uh, follow Matt on Twitter at the FF underscore educator. Definitely check out all of his work. And again, I mentioned earlier, I cannot stress this enough his approach of looking at this from a dynasty perspective really helps you guys out. There's a big difference between looking at these and evaluating these prospects from an NFL perspective versus looking at them from that perspective, but mixing in the fact that we're looking at these guys from a dynasty. Um, you now that's where we're trying to make our money. So really do appreciate it, Matt. Thanks again for coming on Jake. You can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake takes F You can follow myself on Twitter at Kyle month. appreciate you tuning into the podcast. We'll catch you guys next week for a little bit of pre-draft good and bad landing spots. So be sure to tune back in next week. We'll catch you guys then.